Um, okay, yeah, we're going to talk about, it's, you know, a special Passover special. <laughs> we're out of practice, and it That's shows. Right. This is our first time doing one not in the same room. Weird. Usually we record these face-to-face, um, sharing sharing one big bowl of punch that we pass around with our friends. Obviously. And just reaching out and just, like, shoving our fingers in each other's mouths and rubbing each other's faces. <laughs> uh, but not today. Today we are following the social distancing guidelines as set by the Brands of America. The Brands of America. I, you know, this is totally off topic, but I watched um, a, like a network television program last night for the first time Wait, since this whole thing started. It was weird. <laughs> it was oh, it was so weird seeing like every other brand just come out with like a treacly fake emotional like we're all in this together, but make sure you stay at home thing like back to back to back like. Uber did one that made me scream at the television. Uh, there are a few more. Uh, Walmart, obviously, like one of the most evil companies in the world. They did one. Uh, then it was like the Advil one where I was finally like, I just couldn't. I had to get up and like walk around the apartment. I was so upset about it. Aww. Just because like, well, you know, obviously I'm not a big fan of brands <laughs> in, in, in general, I guess. But, you know, it just really just, I don't know. It just calls to mind how it's, it's ridiculous that we have to be told what to do by commercials. Like there, there should be a plan in place aside from us having to record our dumb podcast uh, over Google Hangout. Yeah. Because of how mishandled this was at every single level by the people in charge. Yeah, and it continues to be mishandled, and it's going to keep us inside for longer than we need to be needed to be. <sighs> anyway, yes. sorry, I'm just like really depressed about that in general. No, I understand. I'm sorry for bringing it up at the top of Mm-mm. our podcast because this is a podcast about connection. Yes, and we are still connecting. That's true. We're still connected. We're in this together, but yes. apart. Together, but apart. Yes. Hashtag strong together. <laughs> together strong. Um. Yeah. So we uh, are doing the podcast. Sorry for the. <laughs> sorry for the absence. There's been a collective trauma. Hopefully, yeah, you can it, forgive us. Yeah. Maybe stop with the accusations <laughs> and the recriminations. And the, can you imagine though, if we had like a real podcast? And people were like, where is the episode? Like, no one, no one's asked me for the episode. <laughs> Obviously, like, no, yeah. <laughs> Morgan has occasionally. He, but he asked before the pandemic set in when we were just sort of recording very sporadically throughout January. Yeah. So we were already off track. We were already off track. Uh, but now we have an excuse. Yeah. Well, you know, if, we, if I uh, get furloughed for my one day, we can just have podcast recording day. That's true, yeah. And I, I've, I've, every day can be podcast recording day for me because I've already been furloughed. Oh, I'm sorry. A little John voice furloughed. <laughs> Get low. <laughs> um, but, but this is a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like, which you can still do remotely. You can. You can. You can indeed still do it remotely. There's something so strange about the fact that sorry we can get off this in a second, but no, I, just, I feel I like have, we need to like hash it out. It's fine. We we gotta address it. The <laughs> listeners want to know what's going on. Our 44 listeners want to know. Imagine one of those 44 people. I guess one of the ones we don't know mm-hmm. uh, has just awoken from like a three month coma. They and don't they, know. The first th- and they like gotta gotta ease myself back into the world. What 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 calm voices do I want to guide me into this new era? Jason and, and Kelsey and they pick our <laughs> podcast. So there's something I think very weird about the fact that our this thing has, has shown the ways in which our society is not at all prepared to deal with a, a thing of this magnitude, like a stressor of this of this size. Capitalism um, is the virus. Yeah, yeah. And hey, like obviously, this is a leftist America, podcast. This is where we're at. Exactly, and this is all, and this is really just brought into such clear definition, like how much there is no safety net for most of the world, and obviously, it's it's bad everywhere, but it's been handled, I guess, objectively the worst in America. Yeah, honestly, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's probably like there are other the, countries that are not doing great, but like it's bad here. Yeah, it's bad. It continues to be be handled, uh, like you said, very poorly. And we are at the epicenter. <laughs> yeah, we're in New York City, baby. <laughs> oh, but what I was saying was, it's 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 you know, this is shown so clearly how our actual like the functions of our society in terms of like healthcare and you know services for people is is a failure, mm-hmm. and yet and yet we've spent like on a surface level years building to this point where like our society continued can continue to sort of at a superficial level function because we can still because we because video chat is now highly accessible mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. still still kind of function functionally pretty bad but it is accessible 
and like we have yeah, all of our media can come to us into our homes directly. Um, I guess that's really it, those two things. But it's weird because like we can all still live. I mean, at least yeah, I do think about that. It's like we're like we're not 1918 flu territory where it's like we have to stay inside, but also like what are we supposed to do? Read? Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Gross. Gross. <laughs> or even like if this has happened like in the 90s. Yeah. You know? It'd be a lot of phone time. A lot oh, of conference man. calls. God, can you imagine? We'd, we'd be having Three-way our, calling. Our, we'd be doing our podcast on a cassette tape and just mailing it out to people. Again, we could. <laughs> DIY style. DIY style. DIY style. And I think I also think about that there is like a whole... Um, Although I guess we're already DIY style because we already do it. Whatever. Go anyway, on. Anyway, um, there is like a whole industry of people who like their jobs really haven't changed much. Like YouTubers, like <laughs> who just have been yeah. doing their jobs from their houses forever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I'm appreciative to those people because I need things to watch, but also fuck them. The, prob- the problem is going to be uh the, well the problem on on a on a, a media level anyway is going to be when we hit the point when like when service was interrupted like mm-hmm. like production on 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 media yeah was interrupted. yeah so that all we have is that stuff it's interesting cause i actually think there's a lot of like it's interesting to see like the like sort of um the late night shows being produced still like from home the stuff that was on like a one day yeah. media thing so i kind of wonder depending on how long we're here what we'll what we'll end up with yeah I, it's, it's really it's uh oh man of all the you know i don't want <laughs> to i've been loath to try to like be too like funny and goopy about the whole quarantine situation because obviously it is a serious thing that's like mm-hmm. affected a lot of people in, in like extremely dire ways but i do i do I, it's a minor thing but i really hate that this has made us have to care about uh, Saturday Night Live and Jimmy Fallon and all those people again. We have to like we have to like take notice of what they're doing and even just like we don't have to watch it, but you're you're aware of it and you have to think about like oh they're still doing that. What does that entail? I hate that. I don't want them to take up any space in my brain. I'm sorry. Uh, SNL has already taken so many so many good years from me. Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched it. Uh, was it bad? Yeah, I mean it's, it's it's about as bad as usual, but like in a different, new, exciting way. <laughs> Uh, well, at least it's exciting. But you know what else you can do over video chat, Zoom, etc. Mm-hmm. You can come together in commemoration of a special time for the Jewish people. Yes, the you can. People. As said uh, many minutes ago, this is our Passover special. Twenty twenty Passover special. Yeah. Um. So that's exciting, and we had a virtual seder. It's um, probably been the most exciting Passover since the first one. I would say so, yeah. You yeah. Know? Um, so we had a virtual Seder. Um, for me, uh, Passover is my favorite of the Jewish holidays. Um, and uh, I think mostly because on Passover, it's not really a um, institution-based holiday. It's a very family-based holiday. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, most Reformed Jews don't go to services. There are some services you can attend, but my family never went to services on Passover. You do the service in your house at the table um, for dinner, um, and you have a Seder, um, and you're commemorating the Jews fleeing Egypt and slavery and um, going to be free etc you know breaking the chains of bondage and the 10 plagues and the sea parting and all that good stuff it was it was yeah i'd never seen well this is my first seder i mean it's a digital seder and and full disclosure i was late to it but, you did miss but, a good portion yeah i mean yeah i was i was at therapy I, yeah. well, I was at therapy um but it was my first seder but also the week before i had seen joseph and the amazing technicolor dream coat for the mm-hmm. first time because Andrew Lloyd Webber is uploading productions of these shows to his YouTube page. So it was nice. That was kind of a nice book. And it's like, okay, at Seder, you see how, you know, you sort of commemorate how the Jews escape bondage. And in that musical, you see how they first entered into bondage. <laughs> I didn't actually watch that one. And I should have. It's, it's, I mean, it's fascinating. It looks so weird. Yeah. Like the way, Cause it's it from the nineties, right? Or the early two thousands. 
Yeah, I think it's I think '90s, but it's shot like a music video or a commercial or a <laughs> fake commercial or a music video making fun of commercials from that time. I can't can't really quite tell, it, but but the way it's shot, the film stock and like the design of the sets is so bizarre. I, when, it, when it turned on, I was like, "There's no way it can look like this for the next hour and a half." But and it, it did. <laughs> um, but more importantly, Passover. Passover. So Kelsey, what is? Can you break down? What's, what a Seder is, I mean, we don't have to go into detail because I know it's probably, I assume it's different for, you know, different families. Seder means order and it's just, it's a ritual meal basically in which you do uh, things in a specific order. Generally, the largest of those things is to tell the story of Passover. So we remember how we were in bondage and, you know, because we can't forget that or we'll, you know, become no longer chosen and not know our ancestors suffering etc um, is that is that the concern that you'll be unchosen i mean i don't think unchosen is it but like it's like it's important <laughs> in the jewish religion to like remember the suffering of your people because we, we did it a lot we we did we suffered a lot um yeah you've uh, you've mentioned it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we've heard um, <laughs> so uh it's yeah it's basically just like a ritual dinner um in which there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of um in our theater that we do here of a lot of um like group discussion and um uh, reflection it's a very reflective introspective thing like the theater i did growing up with my grandparents and my dad and whoever he was married to um <laughs> uh Sometimes not even, just sometimes just my dad and uh, whoever, whatever um, of our family was in town was like the old school Maxwell House Haggadah, like not even the new ones that they put out, but like my grandfather's Haggadahs like that were on newsprint from the 50s. You said Maxwell House? Yeah, Maxwell House puts out a Haggadah. The coffee company? The coffee company, yeah. How long have they been doing this? A long time. Um, and what is the Haggadah? Uh, so the Haggadah is like the book of the Seder service and it has like all the things you need to do in it, the Hebrew, the English, um, and the, uh, you know, the more traditional ones are very specific and very, uh, like, let's just get through this oriented. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the, the first Maxwell House Haggadah was printed in 1932. Did it come with the coffee? I believe so. It was a marketing promotion. Um, oh, that's, oh wow! Yeah, I mean, I w- they got to bring that sort of shit back, man. That's great. I mean, they do, they do, they still do it. I I think more companies should do it though. I think that Folgers should like include a, a Quran in every like, <laughs> yes, thing of coffee. amazing. I mean, the other thing is that the the Haggadah ser- the Passover service is fairly short comparatively, or it's just the one service. So most like um books of uh of prayer in in shul ha- or have like multiple services in them so like it's it's a fairly like small thing you can print um but yeah when i was growing up we used the maxwell house Sagata and it was from like i think 1955 or like the 50s or 60s it was in black and white on newsprint um it had very old archaic language but i always loved the uh passover seder just because like my grandfather always led led it and he's the less talkative of my two grandparents on that side and um just really just a great guy i miss him a lot and uh it was just always like a really nice like cultural moment as opposed to a religious moment for me like uh you're not in the shul you're not like really talking all that much about god um, you're talking more about like family and reflection and how can we make the world better and how have the Jews of the past made the world better and, and all this stuff. I've gone to a, several different seders, I guess. Um, that was the one I grew up going to in college. Um, I went to some family friends in Philadelphia's seder. Like I drove up from Baltimore um, and theirs was always very um, song heavy and more traditional than the one we we attended but um very fun and i liked it a lot and it was like a big uh group of like five or six families who i sort of ingratiated myself with even though i didn't like grow up with them because uh, i went there for the high holidays too um and then when i moved here i tried to sort of i went back down to philia for a couple years 
But um, I was trying to find somewhere to go. And then I met Ellen. So her family has always been really good about bringing people into their folds. And um, I've gone to friend services. Friend of the podcast, Ellen Shadburn. Friend of the podcast, Ellen Shadburn. I've gone to services with them for the high holidays a couple times. And they're, um, Shul's very progressive and very, um, like, forward thinking. And, and it's, it's uh, very introspective and social justice based, which I really appreciated. And then the Seder that uh, they do, uh, Lawson, her dad, like, um, compiles sort of his own Seder based on various things. And there's readings from, you know, not not necessarily Jewish texts, which I really appreciate, but, like, it's all very cohesive and part of the um, the journey. And it's always updated each year for um, the times. And this year's Seder was very timely mm-hmm. <laughs> as mm-hmm. a big part of the Seder is about hand washing <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, setting your intention and all that stuff. It was, it was a really, it was a really good service. And I love, I love, I love their Seder. Um, we didn't do as much singing as we normally do in the Shadburn house um, because it's hard to sing over Zoom as we, we did find. Um, it's hard and it's also very weird. It's very weird. Um, but I thought the Seder was really good, and it, um, I think that one of the things I like most about the Seder, and generally the way Lawson and a little bit Ellen leads, it's hard to do over um, Skype, but uh, this always goes very well um, in, in their house, is how much room for discussion there is. Like, we'll we'll talk about a theme or a text, and, and uh, the leader will open it up for discussion, and we'll talk about how we feel about that or like do we think that this is a good thing that we've included or is it slightly controversial or like why do we feel that way and I think that's like probably my favorite part about that particular Seder is that it's very like just what I like doing which is, was always my favorite part about our my family Seder was that when we were done with this the the written Maxwell House Agata part we just like you know would talk about stuff because my family was never a family that was like well we don't talk about you know politics or religion or whatever at the dinner table we talk about everything that everyone was mad at each other at and usually just like ended up yelling um <laughs> like i i think discussion and and um you know a little bit of debate around the dinner table around a, any dinner table is like my favorite thing in general like i i love it as an experience and i want to have a dinner party when this is all over <laughs> um uh I miss everybody and I miss all the crosstalk. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, there's 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 no elegant solution within the video chatting world for crosstalk. There really isn't. Because most of them have this awful, awful feature, I guess, where if someone's speaking, it often uh, mutes someone, everyone else who is speaking. So you end up only hearing one voice. It's really, I can't believe there's no way to like address that, but it's really frustrating. Um, but there, so as I understand that there is room within the form of the Seder broadly speaking to include like different kinds of readings or more readings or less readings or songs it's just yeah. the structure of like the, the, the telling of the story and the ritual of the meal yeah those are sort of the, the things that like have to be part of the seder right? so the order like the order is is the uh, seder like hence the word seder yeah and so if you okay. if you look at the the front uh, or the beginning of the seder that i think you still have probably maybe i don't mm-hmm. know you'll see that the order yeah. is in there and there are like some things that more people will include and some things that less people will include and and whatever and some you know some some people would say that the Seder we did isn't very really a Seder because we included a bunch of other stuff, but it's fine. It's I, I like it because there is room for interpretation, yes. Yes, a number of us yeah. are also not Jewish. <laughs> I am Jewish. We were almost 50-50, yes. but I think we were actually, we were like 45-55. We're 50-50 if you count me. Yes. <laughs> which is, which we had, we had one Jew in every house if we count I'll you. Have, it's a bit of a stretch it's a bit of a stretch i wouldn't i wouldn't go to bat for it but if you're feeling generous i have you know at least one percent yeah yeah sorry this this is the first seder i'd ever been to quote unquote been to um i'd been to i've been to purim in terms of like jewish religious celebrations or events of some sort uh that was kind of like that was my i think my first one full stop and it was it was very nice but it was also very like kind of overwhelming and chaotic because purim is a very different type of holiday as from my understanding it's so a party it, holiday it? yeah like, and Purim, and like Purim is a fun holiday it's a big celebration 
you know, and it's not, it's not really actually a big holiday. It's just fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a story and the story is, you know, about the Jews escaping being killed. So, you know, but um, it's a bit of a weirder one though. Like the, the Passover story is, I mean, the Passover, all the old Testament, sorry, all the, all the Torah stories are, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of weird because they're like, you know, they're old religious stories. But the the one the poem is based on always struck me as like, especially like an odd thing to hang a holiday around. Mm-hmm. Like Passover, totally get it's a monumentous thing. It's a and big like, deal. I'm glad, I'm glad that in, in the poem story that I'm obviously glad the Jews escaped destruction again. I'm I'm always glad to hear that. Obviously, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's I mean, there's just more I feel like resonance in the Passover story than there is in. The story because poem is basically like one one woman like pull, pulled a fast one yeah basically <laughs> uh which again great happy for love to see it yeah um but anyway so this was my first seder to sort of attend ellen did i think i have nothing compared to she, she did a great job leading it she did a really good job uh i don't want to be too dramatic but i think it may have been my first meaningful engagement with organized religion of any sort wow yeah i know right because because i yeah, I was raised in a in a Christian context and I come from a, a very Christian part of, of the country and so that's really my background and it's like it's probably goes without saying on this podcast but it's never really clicked for me mm-hmm. and what this did was make me feel things and actually like I recognized some element of truth in what was being said and this is kind of a broader um I don't want to get too theological here because I think it's probably just going to bore people to hearing about my particular like you know uh, belief structure you do you but do have a degree in this though <laughs> i have i have a i have a minor in in religious studies uh i would not put a lot of uh put a lot of uh pressure on that to, to, to so let's let's not get too into it first first of all it was like it is it is a religious religious event that involves like sharing a meal and having a discussion with your friends and loved ones uh, which is the first thing one of those i've ever been to and so that is like that is a you know you can contrast that with like the you know the 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 christian easter service that's like you in a church you know sitting looking up at like a production going on far or maybe closer to you whatever it's like a thing happening in front of you that you're sort of passively involved with if you're involved at all whereas this is more active and more participatory and you know actually you engage and like even like the basics of the seder as i understand it involve like going around the group and like different people read different things even like mm-hmm. removing the, the discussion elements you're still like people everyone's yeah. getting involved on some level Yeah, even if you get rid of the discussion elements you're still like sitting around a table and everyone's reading certain things and and um everyone is involved and i think like that's actually one of the things i really love about it too is that it, it does feel very participatory and inclusive in a way i mean i think one of the things i love about the version of judaism that i grew up with is that like i was always told that my judaism means what it means to me you know and that's like for me that's what a lot of passover is about is about examining this the central story of judaism and being like what does it mean to you you know um, it, that doesn't have to be the same for everybody who was Jewish. Not even everybody who grew up in the same, like, um, you know, temple as me. It's not It's not necessary, um, you know, for us all to totally align um, on beliefs. Like, so much of what Judaism is is about questioning and about... Um, discussing. Like, the, the, like, the second most important books, I would say, in the... Uh, in the Jewish faith are the Talmud, which is just a bunch of Jewish scholars being like, well, this means this. No, this means this. And this means this. And that means that. And it's like each page is like this much, you know, text from the Torah. And then it's all filled around here of the discussion. So much of Judaism is about discussion and interpretation. And you could say that like Christianity is kind of about that too. And it just broke off into different sects based on interpretation. But I think the thing is that with Judaism, there's all of that within the same kind of religion um and i think like my with my experience with judaism is it's like it is all about this discussion and this questioning of like well like we talk uh, we talked a lot in the service i think i don't remember if you guys were there yet i think you were there you were there for the story right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so ellen asked us like one of the aspects of the the passover story is that um god hardens pharaoh's heart against moses and 
we talked a lot about like, well, why, why does God do that? Like, that seems really fucked up. Like God just made it harder to free the Jews from bondage. Like, cause Moses is like, goes up to Pharaoh and is like, Hey, let's do this thing. And Pharaoh was like, yeah, okay. And then Moses leaves and then God hardens Pharaoh's heart. Yeah. And Pharaoh's like, actually, nah, 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 no, let's not do that. <laughs> I was actually glad to hear you all discussing that too, because I'd always assumed cause that is such a weird detail and like a weird thing for the God of this, this story to do. Um, I always assumed it was like a translation thing. Like, oh, maybe that's just like a King James NIV bit of weirdness, and that's not what is actually meant by that phrase. But I take it that's actually is what's going on in that story. Yeah, and I think I think it's always been about like there is like you have to work for it, right? Like you have to earn this thing. That's what that's how I've always interpreted it, is that God wasn't gonna make it easy. <laughs> Which is <laughs> why, like because Jewish that? God the Jewish God is not benevolent, you know. The Jewish God is not is not like, you know, really even all knowing i don't think necessarily like um the jewish god kind of sucks he's just (laughs) the biggest baddest god who killed all the other gods. exactly (laughs) he's he's he's, he fucking rules and he's totally sick um um i don't i don't mean to i don't mean i don't really want to make too light of it because while i don't actually like you know i i obviously i'm not a you know i'm not jewish on any actual level i have I alluded to earlier one one percent of uh, <laughs> Eastern Jewish heritage, according to my mother's uh, um, twenty three and Me test. But I'm not I'm not Jewish. Um, but I the one thing the thing that really and this is what I didn't want to get too deep into. Uh, but the the thing that really got the thing that sort of towards the end really sort of really touched me was we talked about um, there is a and again this is my understanding of it there is in the Jewish faith there is a a looking forward to the messianic age to the arrival of a of the prophesized messiah prophesied messiah yeah whatever uh who will come and usher in this new age of like you know justice and goodness and uh, you know whatever the whole the whole the whole nine yards Uh, and obviously that is different from christianity which sort of presupposes actually that's already that's already going on, man. We already got that. We're in the messianic age, apparently. And, and that we well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, <laughs> it, I, I really this really gave me some clarity on that, which is that like in order to really buy into that part of the Christian story, you have to. I mean, there's there's, there's a workarounds in the faith, and then for people individually, you know, obviously, who uh, to sort of you know make that still be true, and sort of also account for the fact that we are clearly not living in a messianic age like there's just i i, I don't know why i just gestured outside my window as if you can see outside my window just how <laughs> broken the world is but you know we're aware of it yeah uh but whereas you know that you sort of have to there's some cognitive dissonance there that you have to sort of get around to be like well yeah jesus came back and we have a messiah but he's just sort of doing his own thing right now and things are going to really kick off any day now any day and that that's just doesn't really you know hit me in the same way as the you know, the way it was at least put in this Seder, which is that we are, you know, hoping to sort of work to, uh, you know, to improve the world we have now and then look forward to this, this, you know, perhaps coming age of, of redemption and goodness. And that really, you know, because that, that, that reflects the world as like, as I experience it. Yeah. Like the world's not a good place. Maybe it can be good someday and we can, you know, try to do the best that we can at, the, at this time. But there's not, it, 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 that really, you know, that really speaks to me in a way that, um, you know the 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 religion I sort of grew up with uh, never has. Yeah, and I think the other thing about like the it's our responsibility to try and make the world better in the way that we can mm-hmm. um, to Olam, to heal the world. I think like that's that's the thing is like I think Judaism or at least the version that I grew up in. I know like this is not true for everyone who grew up in Judaism, but my I grew up in a very reform Southern Jewish mm-hmm. thing. Southern Jews are like a whole different thing it's weird but um um i grew up in in that and um i think there's just so much um damn what was i gonna say i had this all formulated in my head and it was great (laughs) um uh you're you're contrasting the judaism you grew up with with maybe a more conservative yeah the version of the of judaism that i grew up in was very much about you know what we can do now you know and and not necessarily relying on anything divine really for you know forgiveness or 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 redemption or whatever i think i think that's the thing about judaism is that it's the the idea of god isn't 
like something that you are dependent on. It's just a thing that exists and like does influence things, but it's not like, it's not, at least for me, it's not like this be all end all thing, you know? Um, and a lot more of the Judaism I grew up in was about, you know, well, this is, it's how this thing in our religion is interpreted. What do you think that means to the world now and to you? Um, yeah. 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 And there, there, again, and, and this is my understanding of it, but there does seem to be a more, a uh, greater focus on history and like what you have been through as a, as a people and sort of, I guess, which you know, naturally intersects with like what the world itself has been through in general, which strikes me as a, you know, obviously there's, there's more, um, you know, there's plenty of more conservative or orthodox forms of Judaism that, that I probably would and slash actively do take issues with. Yeah. I mean, same. same way I do with like a more orthodox and conservative version of almost any faith. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's not, not, not specific to Judaism of, by any means. But yeah, but that sort of that strikes me broadly speaking as a more uh, you know a better use of your time, I guess, because there's a lot of uh, I don't know because there is sort of that. Well, and there's not that there's not that focus in Christianity, and I think it's a disservice to to I don't know people and to like the idea of actually applying this stuff to your live your living life. Well, and and, like, and Judaism, I think also now. like it's not an evangelical religion, so the goal is never to recruit people or like save uh, people. You, and the afterlife situation for Judaism is, is a lot different. Yeah. Like it's There's really not one. There's right? really not a lot outlined, no. I mean the idea is yeah. like when you die in Judaism, you're supposed to be buried like unembalmed in a pine box so you can like become one with the earth faster. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sick. <That's the> rules. <laughs> um, Whereas Christianity is, is very, very like very modern Christianity mm-hmm. anyway, and like most sects of it is focused on the afterlife and what, hey, how do we get there and how do we get other people there and what's yeah. it going to be like once we get there, which is also frustrating because it's very much at odds with what the mission of Jesus on earth actually was according to, if you actually read uh, mm-hmm. the New Testament mm-hmm. or at least the the gospels, everything after that gets kind of weird. I guess, well, the book of Acts is actually really cool because the early, like the first wave of Christians according to the book of Acts basically lived as a, like a, a socialist commune. Mm-hmm. Like they were like, That's awesome. like, it's like, it's pretty clear when you read yeah. the text, like they are all living together. They are like sharing labor and like yeah. their, their resources in a very like, direct um, sort of way. Yeah. I mean, this is like, this is me, uh, bring me back to this past holiday season when I literally yelled at my grandmother in like enthusiasm. She was agreeing with me. Jesus was a socialist. <laughs> like, yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of hacky. And it's like, it's like, I mean, it's not hacky for you to say that. I'm saying like bringing that up as like a serious position is kind of maybe a little bit too simplistic, Yeah, but it's basically, it's basically true. Like it is essentially like the thing, the, the issue also for me is like aside from, like, within all that stuff that, that uh, Jesus advocated for, there's some other stuff that, doesn't set quite so well with me, even just in the gospels. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this is part of the reason why I don't, you know, uh, identify with any one faith in particular yeah. too, too strongly, but there's certainly, there's, there's, there's basically, you know, he said very, very little in the gospels about the afterlife. Yeah. Like essentially like next to nothing, it might as well be like, it's like 1% if that much. And it somehow became, yeah. And the re- the rest is all about the reformation of Judaism and social justice in general. Yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> <sighs> Did, didn't take. But yeah, so I, I think, you know, for me that that less of an emphasis emphasis on the on the afterlife is is I think part of what makes Judaism as it is so strong as it is. Yeah. Um anyway. So did you enjoyed Seder and you will do it again? I would love to do it again. Yes, if I have the opportunity to do so, I think I would. Uh, in a way, it was, it was. I was intimidated to do it the first time. I think in a way, it was maybe good to do it in the way that I did it. Mm-hmm. So I sort of got a feel for what it is. Yeah. So now, if I go into one in person yeah. at the Shadburn's house, for example, yeah. I will be less overwhelmed. I think um, we'll probably do a friend, like a just friend, one in person next year, yeah. um, which will be less overwhelming than like all the Shadburn's family and friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it may be, be great. It'd be great to actually because you know Sarah and I didn't. We, had never done one and we never we didn't really have you know it's kind of a difficult time to sort of prep for these things so we didn't actually do the 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 ritual meal yeah 
So I would love to actually like have that yeah. as part of it, and, like really experience that that element of it. We were also like the rest of the people participating were all in a house with at least one Jewish person. So yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, Emily. Emily could just you know like look over to Ben and sort of like you know he's already in his head formulating like a thousand different ways to get that lamb shank and that horseradish and that bitter <laughs> mustard root or whatever it is. And we didn't like Steph and I didn't have all of the things we needed either. Like we you know made some base things, but. Um, you know yeah yeah so i guess i guess from from a lot of people's perspective i have still not attended a seder and if that is your point of view i you know that's fine i would love to attend one for real uh i I like what i've seen so far quite quite a bit next year in person yes next year in person so speaking of passover speaking of passover and of of the highs and lows of the jewish experience (laughs) this brings us of course to the second half of our passover experience and our passover special Mm -hmm which was the ceremonial viewing of the film Uncut Gems. Indeed. By the Softy Brothers. Which we did on the third night of Passover. Yep. Mm. We did Seder the second night, Mm. and then third night, got together, quote-unquote together, to watch Uncut Gems. It was was you and me, Mm -hmm. Sarah, Mm -hmm. Dave, Mm -hmm. uh, Dave Howell, friend of the podcast, Andrew, friend of the podcast, and Ellen, already mentioned, Mm -hmm. uh, in in our separate homes. Yeah. Uh, among more, those people, more, more ra- a higher ratio of Jews in that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which is, it, I mean, it, it is, it is the, it is a incredibly um, Jewish movie. It is. In, and I, and, I've, and I, of course, I mean that in the best way possible. Yeah. I love this movie. It was my fourth time seeing it. I saw it thrice in theaters. Thrice. Thrice. <laughs> uh, I saw. I'd seen it once with Sarah, once with Dave and and Tara. Um, Dave, this is Dave's third time seeing it, but other than that, it was you and Andrew and Ellen had not seen it before. That is correct. I was very, I was very excited to, to watch it with you. Um, I was, you know, disappointed that it was only able to be done virtually, but I still feel like I got most of what it would have been like in person. I was like, do you really want to wait until we could watch it together? <laughs> no, no, it had to be done. It had, um, to, be it had done. to be done. And I feel like um, you got so a good, you, a pretty good feeling of how I experienced it. I also got a good experience of how you uh, react during sporting events. That's true. <laughs> Which I had not seen. I found it very endearing. Because <laughs> this, this movie has it all, man. It's got it all. It's, it's okay. both a high-intensity like thriller, a very Jewish movie, and a sports movie. <laughs> so Uncut Gems, for the people um, who somehow have not heard about this. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you more than likely know me personally and have heard me talk about this. <laughs> but this movie is a 2019 uh, American film by josh and benny safty two filmmakers who have been working on independent film for a, a little over like a maybe over over a decade now what are their other movies their most recent movie was good time with robert pattinson uh, before that they did heaven knows what which is a movie about um starring and written by a heroin addict it was based on her unpublished memoirs and it's like her playing herself and a depiction of her own lived experiences wow before that, they did a documentary about Lenny Cook that I haven't seen. They did a movie called The Pleasures of Being Robbed and uh, Daddy Longlegs. They have not done... This is their big breakout movie, and I had not seen... I'd, I'd heard about their previous two movies, but I had not seen any of them until I saw Uncut Gems because I got a, bu- a lot of buzz around it because it was like... First of all, it's a rare dramatic turn for Adam Sandler, a.k.a. The Sandman. The Sandman. He, he, does, uh, and- he does one every now and then. Yeah, he does. I mentioned this during our viewing, but Adam Sandler has this really bizarre career, and I have this really weird experience of him, where he basically like spends most of his like, career turning out movies I I never ever watch. Some of them are some of them are, are good, but most of them are just like nowadays anyway. It's like it's like all just Shit. horrible schlock, like The Ridiculous Six, uh, Murder Mystery, Grown Ups Two, Pixels. I have a weird fondness blended. for like the early Happy Madison productions, like. Um, like Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, like yeah, I like, I like some of those. I like um, I like uh, like Airheads. That's a pretty fun movie. You know, like, like, like spot prime for- prime comedy Adam Sandler. Uh, the movie Click actually objectively sucks, but it makes it made me cry harder <laughs> than any movie ever had when I saw it uh, when I was sixteen or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have, I have a fondness for it, and of course I, I do find him funny. I, you know those those Hanukkah songs, they're really good. Yeah. I like those a lot. Yeah. Uh, but he does, he does, he spends most of his time nowadays anyway turning out just really just complete unredeemable garbage. Yeah. But then every ten years he turns in a performance that that alters my consciousness in some way. <laughs> he did it uh, in what 
uh, Funny People. Th- 2003, he did it with... Um, 2003? 2004. Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, 2003... Sorry, 2002 was Punch Drunk Love, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did it in Punch Drunk Love by Paul Thomas Anderson. In 2009, he did it with Funny People, mm-hmm. directed by one Judd Apatow. Mm-hmm. A movie I have not revisited, but was very, very into at the time. Uh, and now he's done it with this, with Uncut Gems. And he, like, he, he completely... like His performance in this is so good. I don't want to complain about Oscar snubs. Listen... No one but me cares. Listen, he, listen. His he disappears into the role, Kelsey. I, I want to say, I'm not. I'm not going to say how I felt about this movie, but I will say that I do think that Adam Sandler was snubbed. I don't. I don't. He's great. I don't remember who else was nominated for that category or who even won. But oh, I, 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 I looked it up recently, and I, I, I keep forgetting about it because I, I, I just really like this was this was the best one. They're gonna give him an um, Oscar someday. <laughs> I mean, if they didn't do it for this, I'm not sure what they would. And you like, if you read any of those like things they occasionally put out of like you know behind the scenes with the Academy voters, they were all like a lot of them were like, yeah, it was good, but you know he's like a, he's like a funny you know he's a he's a goofball. We don't want to give him the best actor. Oh, Joaquin Phoenix won for Joker, uh! which is like uh, technically speaking a pretty good performance, I guess. It's not uh, the career movie career defining is, good though. Like the, it's the not- movie. The movie's in is just so is so bad. Like it, 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 his performance, like doesn't and like here's, stick with here's you because it has thing. no it has here's no meaning within the, me, the right? narrative. With the best actor thing, if you can replace that actor with someone else and the movie stays at the same level or gets worse, like then they shouldn't get the you know they shouldn't get the the win. You know, yeah. Like yeah. if you take Adam Sandler out of this movie, it doesn't work. Like it doesn't, no. it just doesn't. Like the whole movie falls apart. <laughs> and the strange thing, it's not even like funny people, and also Punch Drunk Love to a certain extent are, are kind of trading on his, um, his his screen presence and his like his iconography as like a comedic actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and but and it's sort of like it's kind of like a meta narrative around those movies as you watch them. Uh, but but this is not really that. Like there's no. nothing in these in this role that kind of like is is dependent upon or even calls to his past work it's just an amazing performance where you, you like you forget like and i've done this i've seen this movie four times every time i'm like oh yeah it's adam sandler yeah like like you 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 immediately lose sight of who he is as an actor in the role like almost immediately the, the only, it's, it's so amazing the only similarity is that adam sandler is a basketball fan <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You, and you could say that uh, uh howard ratner from this movie is a basketball fan you could say that he's an enthusiast anyway um Sorry, we so the, got off track talking about Adam Sandler's performance. <laughs> yeah, so Adam Sandler is, is Howard Ratner. He is a, a Jewish jeweler in the New York Diamond District. Uh, he has a sort of very... He has a, that's basically it. Like That's really that's, that's, the, that's whole the whole thing. plot is he's a jeweler. Uh, and he's, he's, a, he's a gambling addict. He's a sports fan. He's addicted to gambling. He, makes, he puts money he doesn't really have on bets, the high stakes bets. And he owes money to a lot of people. And some of those people are really aggressive bugging that money from him, but he's in the middle of trying to pull off this deal involving a, uh, he's betting on these games that the actor, sorry, the basketball player Kevin Garnett is, 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 is in. Yeah. I think it's important. This, this movie takes place in 2012, 12, 2012. Against the backdrop of the playoff series between the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, sorry. I, 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 I called Kim Grenet an actor because as of this movie, he is, in my mind. He's good. An actor. He's good. He's, he's playing himself. He's, he's very, very good. He's, I've, I've mentioned this multiple times, but what he's doing in this is so... When you think about it, it's like, oh, he's playing himself. It's very like, nuanced, but like, though. <laughs> but like, first of all, to, to play yourself in a movie is difficult it's because cool. you have to be yourself in a way that like projects that... Like, you, like being just natural in front of a camera is itself a like tremendous skill. Mm-hmm. But Kevin Garnett is not just playing himself. He's playing a version of himself from eight years ago, living through both real events that he actually lived through and a parallel fictional narrative that intersects. And he has to keep that all consistent. Yeah. And it's really, that's a lot of work to do. And he like, fucking does. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, oh, Jason, uh, you, we want you to appear as a supporting role in this movie where you're playing yourself uh, when you lived with your parents in 2012. <laughs> but you're also like fighting aliens. But you're also like really living your life where you're work, like doing a temp work 
as a, as a poll worker in the 2012 election. Honestly, this sounds like something you and Morgan would make. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but it'd be, it'd, be a ch- it'd be a challenge. It'd be a challenge. But he does it. He uh, does but it. anyway, ha- Howard is like, he's got this, this, this black opal that he's shipped in from Ethiopia. Uh, it's an uncut gem. Mm-hmm. He's trying to auction it off, but Kevin Garnett's interested in it. And he's trying to pull off this bet while he actually auctions off this opal, but he also wants to sell it to Kevin. And he's got a lot of pressure from his, like, he's like, he's got a family. Uh, he's got a, um, I guess, a, I guess a mistress. We don't really know what their relationship history is, but he's with a woman and he's like, who is not his wife. And he is about to, him and his wife are in the process of separating. Uh, and so, yeah, things just sort of, uh, you know, he kind of, he kind of just, he just rolls with the punches for a while, it's man. It's like high stress. <laughs> this is my, so Kelsey, what was your experience of the movie? Because I've mentioned this before. I have, yeah, this movie has a reputation and like has from the get go as being incredibly stressful and anxiety provoking, but I simply do not feel that way. And I'm not, I'm not trying to stunt. This is not like, <laughs> I'm not putting on a fake front here. Like I really like, I watch this movie and I feel, I feel tense and like sort of on edge and engaged in the way as I should. But mostly I walk out and I go, man, what a, what a rush. <laughs> I feel good after I leave the movie, honestly, Feeling good. but I, I get the sense that you, that's not the typical experience, but what was your experience so my experience of this movie was very much tense (laughs) (laughs) so i this movie is a series of very bad decisions by one man who doesn't need to be making these bad decisions (laughs) like and he has so many chances to just get out of it and he just keeps digging himself deeper into this hole and like the only time you really feel like like that the because because most of the time it's just howard digging himself deeper into this hole but then it's like he has this whole plan he's gonna auction the thing and it's great and everything's gonna be fine and then he gets to the auction house and they're like they like valued his his rock at like way below the price he needs it to sell at basically it's supposed to be worth like over a million dollars and they valued it at like one point uh, 125,000 or something which like that sucks <laughs> I was like okay <laughs> legitimately not your fault dude like not really <laughs> it, it actually it is it is kind of implied that if the if they'd gotten if he'd gotten them the jewel when he was supposed that to that it would have been higher which is dumb they could they, like they could have valued it differently to me that's dumb because like if they valued it higher like it would go for more and like the auction house makes more money because they get a commission. Like, yeah. <laughs> like so just, that just, that kind of plot it, point did not fly with me. But um. it, it could, they, I just I got there's sort of an implication that if he had sort of like not been the incredibly stressful and frustrating man that he is, yeah. maybe that they could have worked with him a little bit on that. Yeah, yeah. And he is an incredibly stressful man. Although that auction scene is the most stressful scene of the whole movie. Oh, it's it's because he's trying to get his father-in-law to help him like push the price up so that Kevin Garnett will bid higher, yeah. and just like every, it's like it just doesn't work out. It's really like spoilers for Uncut Gems, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's. Uh, I think for me, it's just like I hate. You've seen me watch reality television. I hate watching people make dumb decisions on screen, yeah. and this was like just a man making a series of dumb decisions. <laughs> Um, and it was just very, very stressful and I did not like it. <laughs> the two things, the two things I, I always watch for whenever I see this movie with a new person, um, including with the third time I saw it, I was by myself because the Metrograph in New York city was playing it in 35 millimeter. And I was like 35 millimeter. I got to see my boy Howard in 35 millimeter. Um, and the, but there are people there who clearly had not seen it before. And so the two things I look out for is I want to see everyone's reaction, um, in the, in the auction scene when like you realize it's not going to happen for him. Yeah. And then, well, I guess there's three things. Yeah. The second one is towards the end of the movie when he like when he gets the money. Yeah. And he's with Kevin Garnett and he sells in the gym. And he could like he could just like give Arno, uh, the guy who's trying to get his money from him, he could give him the money and it would all be done. Uh. But he just he just can't do it. He places another bet, and everyone's because everyone has the same reaction because it's like when you see you see him building up to it in his in his head, yeah. and you know like there's no other when way. When he's could having go for that him. conversation with KG and he's like, you know, you gotta like got to show them like they don't he's need gonna, to do he's, it <laughs> he's, getting, he's getting himself more and more worked up and you just you just know it's gonna happen then when it does people's reactions are always it's so because it's so maddening it's but also so maddening. but, but in, in, in a way maybe this is me i want him to do it like, like when he's okay, laying so out like there, at that like, point right at that point i'm like on his side 
at that point because you get you see him go through the thing at the at the auction house and you're like fuck that fucking sucks so dumb like now he owes all these people money and the guy arno who's chasing him is his brother-in-law and it's like a whole thing and i'm just like this is fucking because like because arno's a dick too they're both dicks like it's dumb um and so i'm like i'm like kind of on his side at that point i'm like you know what fucking fucking do one the thing is like I, I got really upset at the beginning of the movie because I was like, wait, is KG like the villain of this movie? Like, does he run off with this rock? And and then it, uh, Dave goes, no, KG is the hero of this movie. And I was just like, and I was just like, okay. And so I kind of had like that moving forward in my head. And I was like, well, we got to see KG like win a game, like really win a game, um, which is the climax of the film. <laughs> yeah. Which is because because he actually won that game. Yeah. So if you if you're like Dave going to the movie, Dave Dave like me, Dave who is from Philadelphia and watched the series live, yeah. <laughs> you sort of know that KG has like one good game, then a bad game, then a really good game, yeah. and those things like really because the the final bet of the movie is on that last game. That sort of is what Howard's entire life is riding on, mm-hmm. um, and KG wins. It doesn't doesn't turn out well for for Howard though. Does not turn out well for Howard. Uh. The, which is all, which is the third moment I always watch for people's reactions because it really it comes out of nowhere. I mean, again, it's inevitable when you look back on it, it's like, oh like, yeah, it's all leading up to that, but also you do not see it coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is really, it's it's a great, it's, it's the reaction is always like shock. Yeah, um, and I like the but, thing is like I felt like it was the right end for that character. Like I like Ellen disagreed with me. Like I felt like it was <laughs> you know like a weirdly happy ending. And that, like, he was sort of cheated out of his intense winnings, <laughs> like, like what six million dollars or something? Crazy. Yeah, I, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a it lot. Was a lot of money. Um, um, and Ellen was like, "No, he, he, I mean, spoilers, he dies. <laughs> he dies. Yeah, he gets um, shot. He gets shot in the face. Yeah, <laughs> it's like he. Ellen was like, he dies in his happiest moment, and I was like, yeah, but like, it hurts, like." Yeah. Like, well, Ellen's. I mean, I think. I think that you. You all. You both. You're both right. I think Ellen has is is right that he he dies and like it was never gonna be any better for him to die. Like that was the best time he could have possibly gone out because right? it was only gonna get worse for him. Yeah. Uh, but Ellen found that upsetting because she she did not like and it. And I found she it very he, satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> she thought she thought he didn't deserve to uh to go out feeling good, which I got. You know, I don't. I don't think he's that bad of a guy. I think the movie like the the Safdie brothers have. It's, 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 the, I mentioned this. The two brothers who wrote and. They wrote it with their friend um, Ronald uh, Ronald Brownstein, but they directed it together, mm-hmm. Josh and, and Benny. Uh, they they mentioned in one of the interviews about this movie that they, they consider him to be a they consider Howard to be essentially a, a you know a sort of righteous man. But this movie sort of we kind of catch up with him when he kind of is beginning to lose sight of that mm-hmm. righteousness. Because like he's you know, he's got a family. Yeah, he clearly like you know he's clearly built a family with this with his wife and Dina Menzel who was rightfully like put off by him and like you know sick of him but also like you know she seems like kind of a jerk honestly and she comes from like a very very rich family and like because like you know her it's not her relative who is you know hunting down Howard it's like her sister's uh, husband yeah. like her father and like she like they're her family is so her dad like, loves him yeah it's yeah, her dad played by Judd Hirsch uh, he's, 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 he's very wealthy um, but there's just this whole thing in the movie. It's this great, I don't know. Cause like that speech, that this sort of the iconic moment that this is how I win that whole interaction he has with KG. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not just sort of like a declaration of like, you know, purpose from Howard. It's like, it's like about, I, I, I'm not the qualified one to give this, this, this lecture. So I'll try to keep it brief, but there is the movie is in a lot of ways about the, um, relationship that Howard as a as a you know New York City Jewish jeweler has with the you know with with the hip hop community you know Lakeith Stanfield plays a guy who basically like brings rappers to his shop so that Howard can sell them jewelry mm-hmm. and they have this sort of connection and sort of like a, a, a symbiotic type relationship the, between these, these two worlds based on that yeah. and the movie has you know several famous uh, musicians appearing as themselves The Weeknd most notably yeah. uh, Trinidad James my favorite Cash Out yeah. um 
both uh, I think which is great because Trinidad James and Cash Out both had big songs in 2012 and then didn't do anything else after that you never heard from them again I think you could also say it's a lot about the the like relation between the Jewish community and the black community just in general Mm -hmm. um like with all the Ethiopia stuff and um yeah because it's 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 black Jews that had like found this opal that then Howard kind of like undercut the price on to get it from them and then sell it for hopefully a million and kg calls him out on that kg has like maybe the most like morally clear moment in the movie when he when he calls howard out on that he's so fucking great in this movie he's great i mean he's really good he's great he's compelling to watch he's very compelling to watch lakeith stanfield is great like lakeith's great and and dean is also great everyone's great eric eric bogosian writer and star of talk radio Uh, julia julia fox as this Howard is like her Julia. first role. Yeah, she the the Safties and their casting person, whose name I am going to uh, lose track of entirely. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't have it right now. But they're they they have a casting person that they work with. They worked with her for years. She like found Julia, or she found. I don't know, maybe it's not Julia, but they may have met her. But but anyway, they have a, they have a habit of like finding a- non actors or non professional actors and like bringing them into their films. Like like I said, uh, their movie from twenty fourteen, Heaven Knows What, is about a woman who was you know she was a writer, unpublished writer, but she was also you know she was a drug addict, and they sort of worked with her to develop this character that she portrayed. So they have like they they there's a lot of people in their movies where if you go to their IMDb page, it's like that and two other things, if if that much. And Julia Fox is so fucking good in this. Yeah. And really, Her, other than KG, comes out the biggest winner of this whole this whole situation. Yeah, yeah. she has comes six million dollars. She's got a trillion dollars. She's got a sick tattoo. Yeah, <laughs> um, she's she's she presumably still has like plenty of cocaine to sell to people. Probably. Uh, and you know she's uh, I mean she's not in for a you know she's in for a bad end to that limo ride at the oh, end. That's going to sure. be an unpleasant uh, resolution of that. But she's got the money, so hopefully she'll be able to use it. Yeah. But she's just so the way she plays off of Howard is so, and it's 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 sweeter than it seems at first. Mm-hmm. Like it's first of all, it seems like he's sort of just an old, like nasty old pervert. Yeah, and she's like just a she's maybe you know uh, kind of a you know just is, is is perhaps taking advantage of him for his money. And there's sort of a it's the music it's a relationship of mutual, um, you know, exploitation. Mm-hmm. But it really does like come around as seeming like weirdly sweet and and sincere it's in a so very strange. In a way. Yeah, um, and like the, the second viewing the movie is really like it does kind of a lot of things do open up when you see it a second time because it's so dense and so like it throws you into the world so quickly that you only you don't have time to really get your bearings. And there are things that maybe because I'm dumb, but there are plot details I'm like just now getting on the fourth viewing as someone points them out to me that like I didn't really quite understand before. Like what? Like the fact that, like the entire way that their um, uh, their business practice works, that Julia and the Keith, I guess as well, both like go out and meet these rappers, and Julia like sells drugs to them, and they like get them to pose wearing the jewelry, mm-hmm. and then Howard sells it. Mm-hmm. That the fact that that's like they're like the way they that 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 that's how they they work. Really, it's it's laid out in the first like two scenes of the movie. Yeah. But for some reason, I just didn't pick up on that the first time. Also, the first time I saw this movie, I thought Arno was Howard's father-in-law. Oh. Which is yeah, which is which is ridiculous because then who is you know, who is Gooey? Yeah. Who, who is, is Judd Hirsch's character? <laughs> I don't know, Kelsey. I'm stupid. <laughs> I was on. I was just enjoying the ride. You know the visuals. There's there's a lot of sound, those. and the performances. Yeah. I will. So here's the thing, right? I did not like this movie, but I respect the fucking hell out of this movie. <laughs> it's one thumb down. You, you're giving it one thumb down. You're using your other hand to salute because you respect exactly. it so much. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't yeah. want to experience this movie again, but like, it is a triumph of filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. I could, I could honestly put it on right now and be happy to watch it again. I just, I, I think it's so good. Uh. You know, I realize we haven't we haven't actually mentioned why it's a, it's a it's a Passover theme. Oh movie. right, I mean, well, if you know anything about the NBA, you know that a playoff series would take place in April, um, uh, or thereabouts. Um, so it also takes place against the backdrop of Passover. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's actually like I think it is more thematically a Passover movie than 
some people would say in that it has a satyr. Like it, I mean, it is kind of about like being free from bondage and like in a, in like I I would say that that's a that's a theme in some ways. Yeah, and, you, you know, because there's and suffering that we've you know suffering made by others, but also suffering of our own making. Yeah, <sighs> there is there is an extended satyr sequence, as you just said, that that it takes place at at um uh, Howard's father in law's house. Or, or like his penthouse, house, like his, his massive penthouse apartment yeah. in, in Manhattan, and th- that is obviously a big thing. So like when we were doing, we were running through the Seder mm-hmm. there a few times, and I was like, oh, I know what this is, because <laughs> it's in Uncut Gems. Um, so that was like, <laughs> it was neat to sort of understand the meaning of what's happening in that sequence first of all, and second, yeah, I haven't really gotten really even begun to kind of parse this out, but I think you're right. I think there are like more there are Passover themes in the movie as well. Um, aside from being about you know a certain a certain uh, you know a, a very small section of the you know the Jewish population uh, along with you know, maybe that there's things to extract from that that are also applicable to you know the, the identity of the uh, the Jewish people in general and their relationship with the you know the African American community it's like it's a, it's focused on a very specific type of relationship of that sort but there is perhaps you know maybe things to extrapolate from that that are universally applicable or at least have universally applicable things to them if, if that I mean, makes about, sense like at the seder we sing let my people go which is a african-american spiritual song like there's always been connections there and i think that's i think this movie really puts into stark contrast the the privilege of the jewish people in the current world um which i think is important to look at that and be like, yeah, those people are fucking rich. <laughs> like, but it also acknowledges with Howard's monologue, like, you know, this is, this is, uh, there's a movie, there's a Cindy, I think a Cindy Lynn movie called The Palm Broker, which has a sort of similar monologue about, it's about like, sort of the position that Jewish people historically have been put in. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, pe- Jewish people are often denigrated for, you know, working in, in money, yeah. basically. Uh, it's like, well, yeah, but you made it so that, like, those were the only jobs that they could have. Exactly. Like you put them in this position and now you want to judge them for it. That's not really, that's very, very uh, sus, I guess yeah. is the best word for it. Uh, but also, and, but, um, but Howard is basically saying like, you know, I'm not an athlete, you know, I'm not, you know, this, this, you know, this is how I win. That whole speech is about like, well, you know, I, I, I come from a, you know, a, a historical background where which give me certain advantages, but also certain disadvantages. And I've sort of done the best I can to work with that and to sort of, know uh naturally respond to adversity and oppression the way anyone would with my own set of skills and my the tools i have but i think that also the thing that's happening that's seen other than that is that howard is has a relationship with the you know the african-american community that sort of you know benefits them both but with this sort of like with this you know with him under uh, undercutting the price of this gem this opal to these these miners these ethiopian jews who we see in the first scene are not in a good way uh, you know physically speaking and like materially speaking they're they're doing pretty poorly they 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 bust their uh legs in half and it's like the bone splits out of their 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 skin it's not a good place to be um he's sort of i think again losing track of that like that the fairness of that like he, he's kind of like in his pursuit of success and like you know um you know yeah success and just win. wins yeah he's kind of like lost he's kind of lost sight of the of righteousness he's kind of overstep that that uh that line a bit and i think it sort of comes back on him in a, in a big way well there's no there's no sort of about it it definitely comes back on oh, him. oh for sure like literally there is a ricochet <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so yeah i think that's and again i don't want to you know uh, preface post that with i'm not a expert on the jewish people the african-american people or any relationships that happen between those two communities but i think there is a you know even if you don't know all that stuff there is a really there's a feeling of real truth to this movie which owes to the i think the skills of the people who made it and to the uh things being discussed within indeed okay so this has been the end of our first remotely recorded quarantine episode hopefully there'll be another one um so yeah we are uh obviously this we our schedule is kind of uh you know bad right now and it is sorry and we have talked about um in the in the foreseeable future maybe the format of the show will be a little bit different uh you know for the for this for the immediate future i mean 
Uh, we might try some new stuff, some you know, some sort of little uh, little little you know, little shorter episodes of a certain particular format. Perhaps. Perhaps we'll see. Um, we're gonna we'll try see. some stuff out. But I'm glad we did this. This is fun. Me too. Yeah. Um, okay. Outros. Special thanks to Danny Abowd of the Weeping Willards for use of their song Outside in the Rain from their self-titled album available on Bandcamp. And special thanks to Carly Sussman who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Special thanks to you, the listener, for um, checking your feed and to see if we put anything out in the past two months. And guess what? We did one. We did one. <laughs> Congratulations. Stay Happy safe Passover. out there. Uh, Hygsamayak. Wait, how's it go? Hygsamayak. Hygsamayak. Oh, close. Hygsamayak to all the Jewish people of the world. Exciting. <laughs> are we doing our normal outro or are we? Well, you see, our normal outro is go to therapy. And I think if, yeah. as, as usual, I think if people have the resources, which everyone should, um, yeah. they should go. I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm still talking to my therapist on the phone. Same. We are all experiencing a collective trauma, so please. Oh yeah, um, I don't want to say that. Yeah, I'm not. Gonna, I don't want to say wash your hands. People know to wash. You you all know to wash your hands. Do they? Don't touch anyone. If you <laughs> if you don't know to wash your hands, I don't want you listening to our. Podcast. Yeah, if you're not washing your hands by <laughs> now, I don't know what to tell you, man. <laughs> you, I mean, you had your chance. We went through. We went over this shit. Go go to, to therapy. therapy. <laughs> Stay safe, folks. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me, only I can mention me, only I can mention me. Okay, so on this special, 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 special quarantine teen, teen episode, so, so, Kelsey introduces me to Judaism. Judaism. And I do the same to her. You introduced me to Judaism? <laughs> this, this feel, the fake intro feels even weirder that I'm looking at you <laughs> on Google Hangout because I feel like I am introducing the show to you, but that's not right because you're on the show. I'm on the show most of the time. All of the time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>